Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers and writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual Summer Writers Conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, El Presidente, Emeritus. Thank you, Gertrude, and hola, listeners. Welcome to this, the 10th episode of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. This is our second podcast for the week as we're bookending the work week in honor of the 2009 West Virginia Writers Summer Conference beginning today at Cedar Lakes Conference Center in Ripley, West Virginia. The other reason for the double podcast this week is that we wanted to be sure and promote another Appalachian-based writing event that's starting at the end of next week. I'm talking about the 13th Annual Allegheny Echoes Summer Workshops, which will run June 21st through the 27th in Marlinton, West Virginia. Our guest on the program this week, Mr. Kirk Judd, is one of the creators of Allegheny Echoes, and he's also one of the original charter members of our own organization, West Virginia Writers. Kirk's a graduate of Marshall University and is a poet and performer, originally from Wayne County. His first book of poetry was called Field of Vision and was published in 1986. A second collection called Dow Billy was released in spring of 1996. Along with Dr. Barbara Smith, he's a co-editor of the widely acclaimed anthology Wild Sweet Notes, 50 Years of West Virginia Poetry. In addition to being a charter member for West Virginia Writers, Kirk has served our organization in various capacities, including two terms as vice president and two terms as president. He remains an active advisor to the board of directors to this day. Kirk Judd, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Eric. Now, you have the distinction of being the first guest I've had on who I don't have to ask how long you've been associated with West Virginia Writers because you're a charter member of the organization from 1977. That's correct. I was one of the first 25 writers invited for the preliminary discussion, and later on that year we uh, joined into uh, an organization and got incorporated and became West Virginia Writers. What are some of your, your memories of the early meetings of West Virginia writers, and, and how did you get to become involved? Well, I was contacted by uh, Shirley Young Campbell, and Shirley was contacted by um, Jim Andrews from what was then the Division of Arts and Humanities. It was in the uh, Division of Culture and History, as it is still is. It's now known as the uh, Commission on the Arts. But Mr. Andrews contacted Shirley and said, uh, we are not doing, the state is not doing anything for literary efforts around West Virginia, and he would like to get together and discuss it. And she said, well, let me call some folks. Uh, Twenty-five of us met there at the uh, Cultural Center. We had a discussion. We had a meeting um, about two weeks later or three weeks later because we said we, we really didn't represent all the writers in the state, and we wanted to get more folks. And the next meeting there were 50 and uh, we got some folks like uh, Jim Comstock, who was the uh, editor of the West Virginia Hillbilly, and uh, Bill Plumley was involved, and we had the backing of Mr. Andrews and the state. And we decided that really what we needed was an organization that could distribute funds for the Commission on the Arts for literary endeavors. And, and we took a poll, and, and really what strikes me is what was strong then was is still strong now in the organization. We wanted to have... Uh, we wanted to get the word out about West Virginia writers because we thought we had a lot of good talent in the state and we just didn't have the right marketing. And so we wanted to offer some venues for the work of the writers of the state. And so we wanted a, a 
to do some anthologies, and we wanted a press, and that eventually became Mountain State Press. I know that we're no longer affiliated with Mountain State Press, but we actually started it back then. And we wanted a newsletter for folks to stay in touch, and we wanted to have a conference where folks could get together. And we thought a good way to promote all that would be the competitions. And it uh, strikes me that the conference and the competitions and the newsletter are still going strong. You mentioned Dr. William Plumley uh, as being one of the original members, and he was actually the, the first president of West Virginia Writers. Unfortunately, this past year, we had sad news that he had, had passed away in December. What are your memories of him, and, and could you tell me a bit about his contribution to the organization and also to the West Virginia literary scene? Well, um, Bill was a tremendous contribution. He had been sponsoring what he called the Hillbilly Festival at what was then uh, Morris Harvey University, it's now the University of Charleston. And he had been sponsoring that for years, and he'd been bringing in a lot of great writers from around the country. The first two years I went to that, conference, I, I got to be the escort, student escort for Jesse Stewart, who's an, you know, an icon in, in Appalachian literature. And he, he brought in uh, uh, many, many different folks, and, and uh, Bill had been sponsoring that for a long time. So it was natural that he, he came into the group, and he brought with him a, an energy. Uh, he was the natural selection for president. He and uh, about three or four others of us, and somehow I was on the committee to write the charter, and we wrote the bylaws of the organization, and we set up the structure. And But his, without his energy and his enthusiasm, um, we may not have been as successful as we were. Now, he, he taught at Morse Harvey, which later became the University of Charleston, and he continued. He, he brought in Allen Ginsberg. He brought in uh, Annie Waldman. He brought in so many different writers to that small college in West Virginia. That he, his contribution to, to West Virginia literature is that he exposed so many of us to so many different things that, that perhaps without him it would have been more difficult for us to, to have, have gained that knowledge. You recently trekked to Charleston where you saw the West Virginia Words and Music program at the Clay Center. Uh, for our listeners who might not know, this was a program that's been in the works for a while now in which stories of West Virginians are told from the low to the mighty, sometimes as, as acted pieces or sometimes in song. But you contributed to this show as a writer. What was your piece in it? What did you do for it? Well, I, I was chosen as one of the authors. I was very flattered. Uh, there was some wonderful material in, in the play itself. I went down Friday night for the authors uh, showing. But one of my poems, which is, uh, has turned out to be one of my very popular poems, it's, it's been performed quite a bit. Uh, the title of it is The High Country Remembers Her Heritage, but it's actually known mostly by its first line, which is My People Was Music. They, uh, they, they, uh, David Wall, who, who produced and directed the play, uh, broke it into four voices, which is very interesting, and it actually was the opening piece of the play, which I was very pleased and very flattered, and, and it really set up the whole thing pretty well. I, I really, really liked it. Would you care to share that piece with us here now? Sure. I'd be happy to do that. And, and let me set it up just a little bit, please. It, it's kind of about why those of us who have grown up and, and lived in West Virginia all our lives don't need to be taught art appreciation and things like that. We have an appreciation for, for music and, and literature and art that... I believe is unique to the Appalachian culture and maybe specifically to West Virginia culture. Because we know what's valuable in, in, in the beautiful, and, and that's what the poem is about. It's titled, My People Was Music. My people was music. Their lives were poems to 
told in the old language of earth and season, rain and sun, field and sweat, stream and blood. My people was music. They come to this country in fiddle cases thrown on a tide. They burst on the shore, and notes was their babies, and they spread over the land, moving up the valleys and the hollows with the piping of the wind, moving up the rivers and the runs with the rhythm of the spawn, the pulse of blood on membrane beating, coming home to live, coming home to die, coming home to live, coming home. My people was music. They throwed down roots and growed up families and stayed. Stand with your heart in the earth and your hand in the sky and hear them in the hum of the planets and the songs of the stars that carry the cadence of time. Hear your granddaddy in the high fiddle string, your rogue uncle in the banjo ring, your button chouette in the corner guitar, keeping time, keeping time, keeping time. Hear them in there, because that's where they is. My people was music. They didn't have no politics nor economics. They didn't write no newspapers nor history books. That's not how their legacy is kept. Their lives are the poems of my soul and the songs of my breath. My people was music. And if you want to know, you got to be able to hear. I believe the first time I heard that was at the West Virginia Book Festival, and I thought it was such a great performance piece, and I was so happy that you did it again for us at the conference. Uh, I guess it was been a couple of years, a couple of years back, probably the conference from two thousand seven. Yeah, it, it goes very well. The rhythm of it goes very well with the uh, old uh, Central West Virginia fiddle tune, uh, and <laughs> it's got a great title. It's called "Grumbling Old Man and Growling Old Woman." <laughs> Just the pace of it and the rhythm of it just fits very well with that poem. We, I put it, we put it together several years ago, and we've, we've performed it. Uh, I actually got to perform it in Ireland, which was a, a highlight of my life. That was with a, a tour of the Allegheny Echoes, am I correct in that? That's correct. Uh, there were 19 of us that went over um, in 2001, the first time. And uh, we did a, uh, a, a two-hour set. The first hour was kind of tracing the roots of Appalachian uh, bluegrass music back through Appalachian old-time music through the old Irish uh, fiddle tunes, which were based on pipe tunes and the old ballads. And and we started out with just a single fiddler and then an Irish fiddler and then a single banjo player and then Irish banjo. And we worked our way all the way up through till we had a full-blown bluegrass band with dancers on the stage. <laughs> It, it, that was the first hour, and then the second hour we went out and did some individual pieces. And we uh, we did nine gigs in 11 days over there. And they, they recorded us, put us on the BBC. Uh, it was a fabulous trip, and the Irish people, uh, they, they really loved us. It, it was an amazing experience. And as we mentioned, this tour was done through Allegheny Echoes, which was an organization you helped found 13 years ago. It's primarily known for its writing and music workshop series that's going to start next week, June 21st through the 27th in Marlinton. Could you tell us a bit about Allegheny Echoes and how did that come about? Sure. Um, I grew up around music all my life, so, so a lot of my work is infused with, with music, and especially old-time string music. And West Virginia has a lot of festivals and, and fairs that they put on that are, are pretty authentic, but a lot of them, especially the workshops, were teaching uh, the 
fiddle tunes and the, and the old-time music were not so much West Virginia-geared. And, and a good friend of mine that, that um, uh, I grew up with is a tremendous mandolin player. He and his brothers have one of the best old-time string bands you'll ever hear, uh, the Bing Brothers, and Mike Bing in particular was my good friend. We would go to these things, and, and we would complain and, and kind of moan around and say that, you know, they're not really using uh, West Virginia to, to represent West Virginia music and, and, and how it is, is put across. I mean, we're bringing Cajun fiddlers in to teach fiddle classes and, and New England banjo players to teach banjo classes. And it's like, why are we doing that? We're right here in West Virginia. Let's use West Virginia folks. And we, we kind of beat our heads against that wall for a while. And finally, we were standing in the parking lot at Vandalia one year, and uh, we just looked at each other and said, let's just do it ourselves. And so we met a couple of weeks after that in my house, in my in my living room, in my den. And there were um, uh, four of us. It was Mike and his brother Dave and myself and Sherelle Weigel and our spouses. And we sat around in my den and we brainstormed some ideas and, and decided, thought, where could we do it? And, and Mike at the time was living in Pocahontas County and, and said he could maybe go talk to Snowshoe. He thought maybe they would uh, sponsor something like this. Before a year was out, he called me in January of the next year and said that the people at Snowshoe had uh, told him that we could do it, and he, they wanted to do it. They wanted to do it that spring, and I was like, "Oh my God, we can't get any money this early." But somehow we pulled it together. We had uh, actually we had 35 students that first year, and that was at Snowshoe. We had the first seven years we had it. We had it at uh, the Snowshoe Mountain Ski Resort. Uh, then we moved off the mountain and down into the town of Marlinton, where we remain today. Uh, we have based at the Marlinton Motor Inn, and we have classes scattered throughout the town of Marlinton. And like you said, this will be our 13th year, and we have folks coming from all over the globe. Um, we have we feature the best of West Virginia. We have some incredible musicians in West Virginia, and we have them teaching all levels and uh, uh, all uh, ages of old-time string music and bluegrass music and fiddle, guitar, banjo, bass, mandolin. We have vocal classes. Uh, Sherelle and I have alternated teaching uh, creative writing classes each year. And and every year we'll have some other classes. Sometimes we have dance and sometimes we have crafts. Uh, we've had songwriting classes. Uh, and we, we're getting people from all over the globe. It was amazing. Two years ago we had a banjo player from the Netherlands come in. And he knew all these obscure West Virginia banjo tunes. <laughs> like, how do you know this stuff? <laughs> and it's, uh, the Internet. I mean, uh, the words, word has gotten out, and, and we've been sending folks out for the last 13 years, um, and, and word has come back, and, and we, uh, we have a great time up there. We're, we'll have about 150 students this year. We, we keep it about that many uh, because it gets a little, if it gets bigger than that, it gets a little unwieldy. One of the things I find most fascinating about Allegheny Echoes are the nightly jam sessions between the students and the staff, kind of nightly concerts during the week. Yeah, that, that's uh, pretty neat. We have something going on every night. Uh, we, we meet on a Sunday. Uh, everybody comes in. Classes start on Monday morning. But Sunday we have a, a welcome, and we usually have a monster jam where everybody brings their instruments, and we, they all sit around in one huge circle, and they play some tunes that everybody knows, which that's pretty incredible. 
And then uh, on Tuesday night, we usually have a square dance down at the, Mount, uh, the uh, Marlington Opry House, which is a really neat old space built in 1908. Um, a really great uh, performance space. And on Wednesday night, we have a bonfire, and uh, and everybody sits around, and we, we have a wild meat cook-off. We have uh, uh, whatever anybody brings that they've uh, killed in season, of course, venison or trout or uh, bear meat or whatever they have, we cook it up. There's several of us that will spend the evening cooking. And then on Thursday night, we have what I think is unique to, to any workshops in West Virginia that I know of um, uh, is a student concert. And we started out this thing because uh, we didn't know of anybody else doing uh, performance, spoken word performance with music. And it was kind of um, unique that we, we thought it was unique that, that what I was doing with the Bing Brothers and with some of the other musicians around West Virginia. And so we thought we'd give the students an opportunity to do that. And, and the workshops are, are about more than just playing music or creating poetry or short stories. It's about how you feel about that. It, it, it's not just being technically correct. It's, it's playing with that uh, love of what you're doing. And so we try to get that across. And, and so the performance part of it is not just getting up on stage and, and performing for an audience, but it's, it's, it's sharing with people what, what you do. And we try to convey that to the students, that this, this is how you perform. This is, this is what you do when you play music and when you read poetry. And they have a great time up there on stage. And, and the, the instructors just love it. They're sitting back there beaming with all their students up there on stage. And then on Friday night, we have all the, uh, the instructors have a concert. And again, both of these are in the uh, Opera House in Marlinton. And uh, and like I said, it's, it's West Virginia's finest performers, finest musicians. So those things are just dynamite. People, uh, those are, they're always sold out. People come from everywhere. And, uh, and, and well, I said sold out. Well, we don't charge any admission. Uh, all the seats are all filled, I'd say. I'll put it that way. And I'm sure that'll be the case this year, too. Well, Kirk Judd, we're just about at the end of the program. I'd like to thank you for sharing your time and talent with us today. Uh, my pleasure, Eric. More information on the Allegheny Echoes workshops can be found at their website, AlleghenyEchoes.com. We've linked that at our own website, wvwriters.org slash podcast.html. We also have links to places where you can find Kirk Judd's poetry, as well as the Wild Sweet Notes poetry anthology, which he helped edit. Well, this makes ten podcasts we've accomplished in the course of the past nine weeks leading up to this weekend's summer conference. That being the case, I'll be taking some time off next week to head to the beach. But I am bringing my recorder with me to the conference to talk with some of the presenters there and perhaps even make a few recordings of live readings. Join us back here in two weeks for the conference review, complete with special guests. In the meantime, if you're not at the conference yourself, be sure to stop back by the West Virginia Writers website Sunday evening to see the list of the winners of this year's West Virginia Writers Writing Contest. We'll be announcing those at the awards banquet on Saturday. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Gertrude Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer Pops Walker, whose albums can be found at popswalker.com and cdbaby.com. If you have comments or suggestions about the podcast, or if you'd like to provide us with the recording of a live reading, we can be reached by email at wvwpodcast at gmail.com. 
This program has been produced by Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded at the Mr. Herman Studios atop a hill in Mercer County.